airport staff walked out, grounding flights. Bus drivers stopped work, schools closed, and diplomats at embassies around the world shut shop. Military reservists, the backbone of the Israeli army, started refusing to report for duty. On Monday, March 27th, Israel ground to a halt in protest at a set of judicial reforms put forward by Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and his right-wing coalition. Demonstrations had been rumbling for weeks against the proposals, but then on Sunday, March 26th, Mr Netanyahu fired Defence Minister Yoav Gallant for speaking out against the bill. And it was like he'd lit a match. Within hours, one of the largest demonstrations in Israel's history gathered. By the following day, the country's largest union had called a general strike for the first time over a political issue. Thousands of people were marching around the clock and there was talk that the government might collapse. Some members of his coalition were urging Mr Netanyahu to compromise. Others were saying that they would walk away if he did. But then Mr Netanyahu pumped the brakes and he put the bill off until the summer session of the Knesset to buy himself a few weeks to find a solution and salvage his political career. The move calmed the protests and called off the strike, but US President Joe Biden is still calling on him to walk away from the judicial reforms. And there is still rumbling anger. This is Beyond the Headlines. I'm James Haynes-Young, and this week we're looking at the Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's controversial judicial reforms and how they've ignited some of the biggest protests the country has ever seen. Before we start, if you want to get all of the latest episodes of Beyond the Headlines as soon as they come out, then just hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. So what exactly are the reforms that Mr Netanyahu is proposing? Well, simply, they would give the government more say in hiring and firing judges, and they would block the Supreme Court from striking down laws put forward by cabinet and parliament. Mr Netanyahu says that these proposals are needed, they're justified and they're proportional. He says that an unelected judiciary has too much power over elected officials. His proposal, he says, are no different from the system in many other democracies. However, opponents worry that such a move would make the judiciary a tool of politicians. And they point out that the prime minister would suddenly have a say in his own trial for corruption and embezzlement in office, which he denies. Many worry that this would be the death knell of Israeli democracy. Here's The National's Jerusalem correspondent, Thomas Helm, talking about how events unfolded. Israel might well have just gone through one of the most politically significant weeks in its history. Only a few days ago, the country's longest-serving prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, appeared to be on the cusp of radically changing the judiciary in a manner that opponents say would end democracy in the country. Mr Netanyahu is probably one of the most successful politicians alive and is hugely adept at getting out of tricky situations. But on Monday, something snapped in the Israeli public, and the Prime Minister was forced to climb down. It is quite possible that his government and career never recovers. The straw that broke the camel's back was Mr Netanyahu sacking Defence Minister Yoav Gallant. The minister had earlier warned that the judicial reforms posed a tangible danger to Israel. 
with more and more military personnel refusing to turn up for duty in opposition to the government. Israel is, and always has been, surrounded by enemies, so the population listens closely to the defence establishment. They did not like seeing a Prime Minister sack the most senior official in charge of security for pointing out a threat. It was remarkable watching Monday's events. Hundreds of thousands of Israelis protested across the country. The government looked increasingly rattled, divided and chaotic throughout the course of the day. Eventually, in the evening, Mr Netanyahu announced he would pause the judicial reforms until Parliament returns at the end of April for its summer session. He also pledged that he would use the interim to try and find consensus with the opposition. But things are far from resolved. Monday also saw a large pro-government counter-demonstration in which the crowd was clear about one thing. They would not tolerate the failure of the legal reforms. They view them as crucial to rebalancing Israel's democracy and ending the left-wing bias of an overly powerful judiciary. President Isaac Herzog is now leading negotiations to find a compromise. He has warned that current divisions could lead to civil war. Israel has a month to stop that from happening. Most people from both sides are sceptical that a win-win solution can be found, and both sides are ready to take to the streets once again if they don't get what they want. The Israeli Army Chief of Staff, Herzé Halevi, warned that so many reserve soldiers were refusing to show up for duty that Israel's national security was at risk and military operations would have to be cut back. The former head of the Mossad spy agency, Tamir Pardo, said that the government was acting irrationally and exposing the country to serious harm. The military is a crucial pillar of Israeli identity, and the fact that soldiers didn't report for duty set off alarm bells. We spoke to Peter Lerner, the Director General of Histadrit Global, Israel's largest trade union with more than 800,000 members. It was Mr. Lerner's union's call for a general strike that helped propel the protests into a national crisis. But he's also a former soldier, having served in the Israeli military for 25 years, retiring as the force's international spokesman. We asked him why Mr. Netanyahu's firing of Defence Minister Gallant escalated things. We're in a dire situation. Israel, because of the neighbourhood we live in, is very, very attuned to what the defence establishment is saying. And that's why so many people came out after Netanyahu fired him uh, to voice their frustration. It was the last straw that led the Histadrut to take a, a more active role in this fight for our democracy. The union instructed all public employees to strike, which had a huge impact on the economy. This is a coordinated effort between the unusual suspects. You have business and workers who identify the problems which are societal and economical and decided to work together. So it's not a general strike in, in the traditional terms that we usually have, but rather a strike that said, let's shut down everything together to send a very clear message to Netanyahu. Israel has conscription, meaning that most young people have to undertake military service, but a lot also continue afterwards as reservists. And due to the fact that the armed forces was now involved in a political conflict, many decided to use their duty as political power. If a huge part of society feels they're not being heard by people who would potentially need to send them to war or to defend the country, 
then there's a huge challenge. So that, I think, is the issue. Nevertheless, if you are required by law to serve, whether it's in reserve duty or uh, obviously in compulsory service, then you don't have a choice. You have to serve. If you're a volunteer, then you choose to volunteer every year. It's, it's, it, that's just the process. Israel is in a politically fragile position. Mr. Netanyahu has ruled for over 12 of the last 14 years. But when nationalist Naftali Bennett formed a coalition with opposition leader Yair Lapid in 2021, he was forced into opposition. Facing protests against COVID measures and corruption charges, it looked like the Israeli political heavyweight's career was over. But what followed was a series of shaky governments and five snap elections in less than four years. And then Mr Netanyahu returned to power after coming out top in the November 2022 election and forming a coalition with several ascendant right-wing and nationalist parties. With the latest crisis, it doesn't seem that Mr Netanyahu is about to bring an end to Israel's political issues. After just three months in office, it looked set to collapse. In the week of the crisis, two Israeli TV stations held polls to gauge public sentiment. The results? Netanyahu's coalition would fail to form a government if elections were held today. So then you have a shaky government riven by deep divides and facing deep public anger. So to understand what this means for Mr Netanyahu, known popularly as Bibi, we spoke to Joshua Huntman, a partner at the Israeli polling firm Number 10 Strategies. I think the polls are particularly shocking, I think, to, to many, certainly within, within the Likud, because to see such poor numbers for Netanyahu within his own party, that's going to have that's going to have raised some, some serious eyebrows, because obviously the country has been polarised along these, these lines of pro-BB, anti-BB now for, for five election cycles. Around 63% of the polls' respondents including 60% of Mr Netanyahu's Likud voters, said that they would vote to stop the new judicial reform legislation, according to Israel's Channel 12 survey. The majority also said they opposed Mr Netanyahu's move to sack the defence minister. I think Netanyahu realised very quickly the implications of firing the defence minister. And I'd still be interested to see what happens with that because he's technically still in his position. And he was trying to sort of make an example of the defence minister. But I don't think there are enough numbers on the sort of gallant side of the equation to, to, to have a real split within the party. Um, if someone had fallen, which I don't think it was ever in any real danger of falling. So where do things stand? Well, Netanyahu has pushed the bill into the next session of parliament, which starts on April 30th, and the protests have died down for the moment. And it seems that the prime minister is already making deals to keep things going with his coalition partners. To secure his backing for the delay in the bill, Mr Netanyahu has reportedly greenlit a plan by his convicted anti-Palestinian partner and national security minister Itzem Ben-Gavir to build a $270 million security force of 1,800 personnel. Dubbed a National Guard, there's little detail on what this force would do or how it would be structured, but many presume that Mr Ben-Gavir would be in charge. This too has worried rights activists, as Mr Ben-Gavir has criticised the police for being too soft on protesters and calling for a harsh crackdown. 
This is coupled with his strong stance against Palestinians in the occupied West Bank and calls for expelling or annexing territory and dealing more strictly with what he calls Arab crime. On top of this, the Israeli government is also facing ongoing international pressure against the reforms, including from Israel's closest ally, America. Here's President Joe Biden. Like many strong supporters of Israel, I'm very concerned. And I'm concerned that they get this straight. They cannot continue on this road. And uh, I've sort of made that clear. I hopeful, hopefully uh, the prime minister will act in a way that he can try to work out some genuine compromise. But that remains to be seen. Now, the government and opposition are engaged in talks, mediated by President Isaac Herzog, and some smaller protests are still rumbling on. But the Prime Minister is confident he can get an agreement. How do we ensure that the judiciary remains independent and that we balance the need to strengthen the uh, executive and the legislative and at the same time protect individual rights? I think that balance can be achieved. And that's why I've... uh, promoted uh, a pause that now enables both the opposition and the coalition to sit down and try to achieve a broad national consensus to achieve both goals. And I believe this is possible. We're now engaged in exactly this conversation. But does Joshua think that a deal can be struck? I'm not confident they're going to go anywhere. I think the protests here, I think they will continue. Um, I'm not sure they will continue with the same with the same energy that, that you've seen. I'm not sure we'll see. But I don't think we should be fooled. If these negotiations fail, and if Lavin and the wing of the Likud and the religious Zionists go back to their position, which is which is an extreme position, um, people, the people will be back on the streets again. And the general strike, which sort of occurred for half a day and hasn't occurred since the time of the British Empire, um, that scared the hell out of a lot of people in the Likud. That, I think, will be back on the table again. Mr Netanyahu's coalition survived a no-confidence vote called by the opposition in the same week as the crisis. The motion failed by a vote of 59 to 53. So, at least in the Knesset, Mr Netanyahu is hanging on. And if the polls are as dire as they appear, those in power will have a vested interest in keeping the ship afloat. Here's Dr. Guy Laurie, a research fellow at the Israeli Democracy Institute. I think the public understands well that the intent of the government is to really transform the character of Israel and to to undercut its democratic uh, uh, character. And I think the public now is might not even be content with any kind of pause of the legislation for that reason, because they're aware of what the plans are and uh, remain of the government, and they want more protection of human rights, civil rights in Israel now. And they, they want an entrenched protection of the Bill of Rights. And, and we might not even, the pausing of the legislation might not, might not even completely uh, diminish the protests. So Dr. Guy is also sceptical that a pause or negotiations will appease many people. But this crisis has also brought in many of the usually politically apathetic. It could see more people engage with the broader ongoing political crunch in Israel as it lurches from short-lived administration to short-lived administration. 
And so it's this understanding, I think, of really the challenges of Israeli democracy that necessitate, for instance, a constitution, a modern constitution that provides a protection of human rights, that provides a process, an entrenched process of judicial review of legislation. And I think perhaps any kind of pause now with the levels of distrust and uh, social crisis that we see in Israel might not be enough. I, I, we don't know, but there really is a growing new awareness in the Israeli public of the challenges, long-term challenges of Israeli democracy and, and what needs to change in it, whatever happens. Thanks this week to Peter Lerner, Joshua Huntman, and Dr. Guy Laurie. This episode was produced by Thomas Helm, Nader Taha, Dua Farid, and Arthur Edison. This was Beyond the Headlines. I'm James Haynes-Young. And if you want all of the episodes as soon as they come out, then just hit subscribe in your podcast app. And if you can leave us a review while you're there, it makes all the difference. <laughs>